This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And welcome to the No Name Never podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this week is my regular panellist and co-host, Robbie Kopak, who has this week decided to go with the alias Phil Bordsley. Thank you, Robbie. Good evening. What a player he is. What a player. What a player. Let's let's not go down that route so soon into this week's podcast. Let's at least save that for further down the line. Listeners, we're here again. We are still... On one point, the Clarets this week going down 1-0 to, well, away at Wolverhampton Wanderers, the newly promoted side. And let's be realistic here, it was a a very, well, it shouldn't have been 1-0 anyway. It could have easily been a very embarrassing day out for the Clarets. Leaving Burnley with four losses on the bounce now and just one point from a possible 15. And just to make it even worse, absolutely rooted to the bottom of the Premier League. It doesn't make good reading. It's certainly not that great to watch at the moment. So how on earth do we try and make a podcast out of that? Well, this week, Robbie and I decided that we were going to leave it in your hands and we were going to let you dictate how we go about dissecting what on earth is going on this week. Uh, Well, actually not this week, this entire season. Dash summed it up by basically saying in all the press following the weekend's result that we need to lift the fog. So that's what we're going to do. We sent out messages on Facebook and on Twitter this week asking you guys to answer a simple question. What is wrong with Burnley? And we had a fantastic response from you all. So we're going to start working through those tweets and we're going to try and analyse a Robbie and I and figure out what on earth's going wrong. Before I did that, I did ask the team here at Non and Ever HQ to give me their thoughts on what they thought was going wrong. And, And both Dave and Gemma came up with a very similar response, really. I think Dave was very, very succinct and just said, the lack of creative spark in midfield and maybe a hint of complacency after last season's exploits. And Gemma backed that up and basically she said, it seemed to be a general lack of creativity and a fear of trying anything new. A lack of players and playing style introduced with young creative players sat on the bench and not getting their chance this year and last. So, Robbie, we've got all of these tweets to go through. But before we start with these, you were at the game on Sunday. You went down to, to Wolves. 
summarise that briefly. How you feel? How did you feel about the game? You must have been furious when you came off. I haven't felt that dejected and that depressed coming off a Burnley game for a while. I think the, probably the last time I felt that bad was probably when we got beat by Lincoln in the FA Cup. My negativity started even before the game when I saw the team lineups were announced. Will somebody please explain to me what Phil Bardsley, how he, how he is ahead of Matt Lawton? Please just please tell me why, because I don't understand it. No, I'm I'm the same, and I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. Did we not have this Bardsley experiment around this time last year as well? I think I don't know if Lawton didn't start the season. I can't quite remember, and perhaps one of our listeners will be able to clarify. I think I seem to remember in the early stages that Deitch was just persisting with, with Barsley for about five or six games and yeah. he was playing poorly. And then all of a sudden Lawton came back in and, and all was well again. So why is it, why is he making this experiment again? I don't know. Like Phil Bardsley started the Europa League games and I always thought he was just going to be all right back throughout Europe. But when he started the Man United game and then again this weekend, I was just baffled because he hasn't really done any, he hasn't really stood out as a star performer in any game. He's just sort of been bang average and I don't think Matt Lawton's been shocking I mean he hasn't been as like everyone else has been equally as shocking so I, I don't get it I really don't yeah no I'm, I'm in a similar thing and to be honest I also have, have concerns about well both fullbacks I guess I'm not loving Taylor starting either and now this is an opinion that's been dividing on social media a lot of people have been quite rightly saying as you picked up there uh, actually, listeners I keep trying to call him Phil because on our recording software he's put his handle in this week as Phil Barsley and all I can see is Phil so uh, for the rest of this this episode I'm sorry Robbie's gonna have to be called either Phil or Robbie and you're just gonna have to interchange between the two uh, yeah I think a lot of fans are quite rightly pointing out Robbie that neither fullback this season both Lawton and Ward have been very much off the pace but that's it, sh- it shouldn't be enough to completely drop them and go for what I perceive to be inferior players that sounds incredibly harsh on Taylor and well I think but I think Lawton is better than Barsley full stop now yeah. Taylor has the potential to be better than Ward obviously he's a much younger and he's learning he's learning the Premier League so that's that one feels like a much harsher test but at the moment even when both of them I guess if if all four fullbacks are going to be off their game. Surely it would be better to have Lawton and Ward in there and, and their partners, aren't we? Yeah. I, to be fair, I think I wanted Charlie Taylor to really step up this season because I think he has got that potential to be a really good left-back for us. Like he is a forward-thinking left-back. He's got a really good delivery with his left foot. But we're just not seeing it. I don't know whether it's just Sean Dyche wanting him to strengthen up his like defensive side first because he very rarely goes past the halfway line. Actually thinking about it, I didn't I can't think of one time in a game where either Bardsley or Taylor actually went over the halfway line in terms of an attacking sense. Yeah, it's, and actually, as we all know, uh, the attacking threat is something that we're sadly lacking at the moment with this side. So I think let, let's maybe stick with that then, Robbie. And, and as I said before, both Gemma and Dave from No, ne- no ne- Never both highlighted the lack of creativity as being one of the problems with this broken Burnley. 
Um, and a couple of tweets that we had from our listeners also backed that up. Ben Taggart sent us a message saying that the problem was creativity. Three out of four forwards are the same player, essentially. We haven't really been replaced. We Sorry, we haven't really replaced long-term injuries in DeFore and Brady. We've got too much sideways and backwards passing, and we're just playing long clips by me and Talks with no one willing to take a risk in the final third. And then Alex Hendley also backed up that theory by saying, again, a lack of creativity to play through teams without DeFore and Brady, yet unwilling to cross in at the strikers. <laughs> Barsley shouldn't be in the team. Sorry, Phil. Um, Lennon not at it either. And the defence is wide open. There's not enough time in the world to list everything that's wrong at the moment. Oh, dear, Alex. That one did go a little bit off, didn't it? So we've been saying this for a few weeks, haven't we now, Robert? We've been saying that the lack of creativity is a real problem. And one of the things that I found that's really frustrating me at the moment is that we just, we're lacking any kind of threat at all in the final third. And we were watching the game on, I think it might have been the United game, but I certainly saw a few bits on Sunday where, so I guess Charlie Taylor was a great example. And I'm not singling him out to say that he did this wrong, but this is, I guess, an example of how it's going across the whole team. We managed to get a ball forward for the first time in ages. We managed to get past the Wolves' defence. And he found himself on the wing about, say, 20 yards out with an opportunity to get a ball in the box. But instead of just whipping the ball in there early, he stopped, dead ball the situation, looked behind him, passed it behind to Cork, who then passed it across to Hendrick, then back to Ben Mee, then over to Lennon, then back to Hart. And then we started all over again. And it's just completely and utterly broken down any threat whatsoever. And, and defences at the moment who are playing opposite us are not having, well, they'll not have any easier games than that, will they? Surely it's, we've got no, we've, we've just got nothing, have we? Yeah, yeah. The last two games we've really lacked any form of invention. But in terms of the creativity side, the opening day against Southampton and the first home game against Watford, we created loads of chances. So it's only in the last couple of league games where we haven't really had that spark. In terms of the fullbacks, like defensively, I think yesterday, to be fair, I thought Lennon and Gunmanson didn't cover themselves in glory in terms of protecting them. I thought fullbacks were exposed time and time again. And that doesn't usually happen for a Sean Dyche team either. So then, can we pinpoint then exactly what's happened in these last, say, three games where all of those chances that we've been creating? Because you're right, and I'd, I'd completely forgotten about that. In the first couple of games, we were bemoaning our lack of killer instinct up front, but we were, I guess, excusing it by being able to say, well, yeah, you know what, at least... We're creating chances, and I'd rather be creating chances than not at all. And then suddenly in these last three games, we've gone back to not creating anything. So well, the team's not changed. Why have we suddenly stopped creating? I don't get it. It's probably, I, I, I put it down to a lack of confidence now. I think I think we did start the season on quite a bit of a high, obviously, with Europa League starting, it, everything felt a little bit, you know, rosy and whatnot. And then the defeats start creeping in, and then you got you get knocked out of Europe and... I just think it all catches up. And next thing, you've, you're losing four games on the bounce and not creating anything. Yeah, they, they do definitely look a little bit. Um, what's the word? Well, it's not. I don't think it's. I'm not sure it's fully lacking in confidence, but that edge has definitely gone, hasn't it? And I think. I don't know if you. you I think I saw you tweet this actually earlier on, Robert. Joe Hart was incredibly 
brutal with his assessment of it. And I think he he talked about that lack of, of, of confidence there. So he basically said, we were miles off, admitted the Burnley keeper. We've got no excuses this time. There were no games in midweek. We've got to have had a good look at ourselves and go again. We're a good, strong group of players with a good manager and we're being tested at the moment, but that's what life's all about. So he was, and I think he was quite honest about the fact that they were well off the pace. And I think he even said at one point, let's be honest here, we got absolutely battered and the scoreline very much flattered us. So maybe, you know, maybe it is a confidence problem, but maybe you have hit the nail on the head there. So let's move on to some other tweets and let's see what other possible explanations we've been having from the listeners. Now, there's a few come in with some quite scathing reports from our board and from the investment put into the side. John Culley tweeted us and said, the board need to develop a new business model. They are too risk averse, which is due to the history of BFC. It's a fear of going bust and the town not having a club. Not on their watch. Deitch now has a track record which should be backed with investment on proven quality players. Now, Ben Reuven backed that up by basically saying that we needed to massively reinforce the squad in the summer. We've gotten more in an arguably already stacked positions in centre forwards and in goalkeepers rather than investing in the bits, essentially in the spaces that we needed. Robbie, I'm on thin ground here because I really don't like blaming the board for this because they've done an incredible job over the past few years of keeping the the club afloat and not getting carried away with Premier League money and betting the ranch as, as they always used to say but have we gone too far now yeah yeah I, I understand the argument last season was unbelievable and it, it was an this was a great chance to really push the ball out and see how far we can get I understand, like spending money doesn't necessarily like guarantee you anything. Like before this weekend, like West Ham spent God knows amount of money and we're bottom. But Championship clubs are spending more money than us, and that's that's not right. We finished seventh in the Premier League last season. It's our third consecutive year, and you have clubs like Nottingham Forest and other ridiculous Championship clubs are spending and being adventurous and being ambitious and we just we're just not that when it comes to recruitment. Yeah, that's true. Nathan Rogers said to us that he you know he made that very same point about championship clubs and he said to us every other squad has improved this summer but we haven't and even championship clubs are outspending us. I'm all for keeping the club financially stable but my god roll the dice for once and stop being a tin pot club. That's obviously quite uh, you know scathing reports there. Mick Anker also tweeted us along the same lines by saying that the problem is the board, simple as that. Their reluctance to back the manager is a disgrace and it's about time people got wise to what they're up to. An £11 million net spend in the last two years is a disgrace. They're making personal fortunes on the back of a football club. Now, caveat to that, I'm not entirely sure that anybody makes a personal fortune out of football clubs, so I'm certainly not going to um, accuse our board of, of pocketing any of that money. But do you know, Robbie, there's a genuine question there, isn't there? Burnley have now in their third successive Premier League season and there's a lot of money. It's a very rich club. So if we're not spending it, where is all the money going? I've no idea, but Burnley Football Club actually put something on the website earlier this afternoon, basically asking for club volunteers to help out on match days. And that is not the... Like, really? How, yeah. How, what, what do you mean, asking for... I, I think basically it's asking for 
for stewards on match days and they're not prepared to pay them. It's it's baffling. <laughs> like, and also... Wow. On the, I haven't seen this, listeners, so... I'm just looking at reading the tweet now. It says, match day heroes... During this exciting 2018-19 season, Burnley Football Club are aiming <laughs> to have a have a team of volunteers to become our matchday heroes, and we need your help. Uh, so why? So are we? Where are our real bad? stewards? Uh, why are our real stewards, and why aren't we paying them? I have no idea. Okay, right. Well, I think I'm not going to dwell too much on that, just on the basis that clearly we don't know what the background to that is, and I don't want to start <laughs> dissecting something that number one I haven't read yet, and number two could be something way more positive than <laughs> than what that made. But but yeah, it, it seems to be a very strange message that's coming out there, and I, I, you know it's hard to criticise them too much, Robbie, because a lot of fans are very comfortable with the idea of the board not spending any money and us being secure because Burnley's not a very risk averse town. It's not the fans aren't very risk averse and there's a lot of what's the word I'm looking for? There's a lot of comfort that some of our fans want in just everything being the same. They don't like change and they don't like, you know, having to take risks and they don't like us maybe having to make ruthless decisions. But we're not going to develop as a business in modern football if we don't adapt to the modern game, surely. Yeah, well, I was thinking then, like, we had Ashley Barnes and Sam Volk starting at the weekend. They were both in our championship team when in Deitch's first full season, about four or five years ago. Like, that's that's not progressing. And then when you have Chris Board and Matty Vidra on the bench, which is what, £25 million worth of talent just sat there, you can't help but understand everyone's frustrations right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we talked about this on the podcast, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago when we said that 4-4-2 just doesn't, in my opinion, just doesn't work with Barnes and Vokes. I think you need to have two players who are different to make that system work. And I was I was encouraged to see Deitch go for 4-4-2 away at Wolves. Again, I'm not entirely sure it was the right game to choose that, but it showed that he was willing to go for it and he wanted to try and score goals and take the game to Wolves. But Barnes and Vokes are too similar. They create a lot of chances. They hold the ball up really, really well and they lay it off for people. But neither one of them, in my opinion, is a ruthless finisher. The player that we have at the club who is that player is Wood. But the only time we see Wood play is when Deitch plays in 4-5-1 up front on his own and that doesn't work. And it just frustrates me when we link this back to the lack of investment or the problems with investment in the club that we're still in this mentality that we're just going to make do. We've got Charlie Taylor playing in midfield because we've got midfield players. We, you know, we're playing Chris Wood up front on his own when he doesn't suit it. We're having to play 4-4-2. And it, it seems to be a mixture of perhaps some tactical naivety from Deitch, but also just this risk-averse attitude that the Burnley board have got. And actually, do you know what? I'm not going to completely level the, the blame on the board for this either. Deitch has also got a lot to answer for for this. I've seen a lot of tweets this week really criticising the board and saying we're going to lose Deitch if the board don't back him and spend some money on players. But guys, it's Deitch also has an input to who we bring in and we are told in, in press reports or in, in articles that there have been players that the board have approved spending-wise that Deitch has said no to. So, uh, you know, I, I guess I come to you as a fan then, Robbie. Are you happy for the board to just loosen these purse strings and for Deitch to stop this worry about his 
perception of valuation not meeting what the club's valuations are and just get some money spent? Or do you think that we can do it on the squad that we've got? I don't mind us spending a little bit more money on players that would genuinely improve us. Like I keep using like the Jay Rodriguez as the perfect example because he was a player who actually fit the system and the philosophy of what we are and and it's just baffling that we didn't actually like go for it and I think I mentioned it like previously on a previous podcast where our net spend if we brought him in had wouldn't have been that much anyway so it doesn't make, really make much difference how much one player costs if your net spend is is a positive anyway yeah that's true that is true Okay, so we've had a look at um, lack of creativity. We've had a look at the lack of spending power. They seem to be the main two criticisms that our listeners were keeping on this Burnley side. The next one that came to us was a plan B and was almost like a tactics criticism. Ben Langston sent us a message saying that teams have become wise to the long balls up to our three big strikers. We've got no width, no pace and no squad depth to change things when chasing the game. Now, he did say at the end of this that apart from that, everything is hunky-dory. So so thanks for that, Ben. And we had Patrick Kearney, who said, we have no plan B whatsoever. That is five plan A works but we don't play like we're even on the same page. Now, our consistency last season, Robbie, really went in our favour. And I think one of the things that went well for us last season is that we changed from the season before. We we wondered how we were going to progress on from just surviving in 16th place and to getting further up that league. And Dyche changed things around and he made things a little bit more interesting. And he came at teams in a way that perhaps they weren't expecting. But fans are now criticising Dutch for basically saying, well, that consistency is now working against us because teams and managers, and there are some very clever coaches in this league, know full well how to play back against us. So how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it's spot on. The only thing that we like consistency on now is like the team selection and just the way we play. Like I use, like again, yesterday as an example. Last season, you could sort of name our starting eleven. Like you didn't even, didn't even have to think about it, but yesterday, like thinking about it, I, w- I wasn't sure how we were going to line up. And then when it's actually announced, I was like confused. And I think that is a sort of, I think everyone's confused. And I think, I think in a way, I think the players are confused as well because I, I think that impacts them. Because last season, you could literally just name the starting eleven off the back of your hand immediately, and we don't know who our first choice strikers are. We don't know if we're going four or five one. We don't know if we're going direct, whether we're going to be patient. It's just really weird at the moment. Yeah, Dominic Andrew said exactly the same thing as that, actually. He tweeted to say, we don't know our best 11 anymore. We don't have a player who is the focal point in the team and we have too many strikers who all do the same thing. Now, surely one of the biggest problems that's causing that is these long-term injuries. And I think we do have to be very careful here to remember that we have two in Brady and in Defoe we have two very very important players to come back for us and and people are looking at the points we got on the board last season in the run-up to Christmas and that was at the time when we had Defoe and Brady in the squad playing every single week and they that was before either of them got injured it is frustrating that we knew that they were going to be long-term injured and we didn't do anything to help that 
But there is also a tinkering that's coming around with, with Sean Darch this season is he's trying squad rotation and he's trying things. He's almost chasing mistakes and, and things just aren't working. But then how do we how do we then counteract the problem of teams finding us out? If we if we went back now to the same back five we had last season, so Heaton, Ward, Lawton, Tarkovsky and me, that's our back five and they play every single game. And we keep a consistent midfield and we just maybe tinker around with the strike force depending on who we played and whether we're home or away. That gives us the consistency we had last year, Robbie, but then we're back to the same problem, aren't we, that teams find us out and they can play back against us. I don't necessarily have a problem with teams finding us out, but I just think it would just help us be a more solid and compact and has been more resolute, which we're you know, known to be. But I don't really know what to say. It's just we've we've absolutely nothing like going forward at all. Like yesterday, I was just so angry at the lack of urgency and the lack of like connections all over the pitch in terms of fluidity and little triangles where you pass and move. There was nothing. Like fullbacks weren't overlapping or underlapping like wingers. Wingers weren't putting the ball into the box. Our central midfielders weren't passing the ball forwards. It was all very pedestrian and that's that's the concern. Like yeah. we could we could we could go back to the normal back five and be difficult to break down again, which we were to an extent yesterday. Like I thought Tarkovsky and Ben Mee were back to their not not quite at their best, but you could. They were think, pretty much there, weren't they? Yeah, yeah in, they were. In terms of like the last ditch blocks and Joe Hart getting us out of trouble, a countless amount of. Joe time. Hart was fantastic yesterday. Can we take a small interlude in this yeah. dissection today and just say how how good he was? There's a lot of fans pleading for Tom Heaton to go back in the nets, but I thought Joe Hart was outstanding yesterday. Yeah, I was just about to say the. The, I think it was about the half hour mark where I think Joe Hart makes like three saves and we we block three on the line in space of a minute. When I was in that away end, do you know when you sort of concede the fact that you're going to concede? Like you have that. Yeah, yeah you're just waiting for yeah, it to happen. For it to, <laughs> just comes. I think that happened like four times <laughs> where, where Hart just sank and then we just. I, Only four. Oh, That's impressive. Oh, God. <laughs> I tell you what, that that last one where Neves puts the ball into the back post, well, that's a really good save. That is, he's our num- new number one now. Like, if fans actually think that Tom Heaton's got to come back in for the Bournemouth game, then you seriously have to give your head a wobble. Because Joe Hart's reaction when we went one nil down, I don't know if the Sky cameras showed it or not, but Joe Hart literally ran to the halfway line and practically gathered the other ten players and just gave them a, like a proper rollicking and tried to really? like, encourage him. Yeah. He was like a proper leader. And I don't think like Tommy Eaton wouldn't do that. Nick Paul no, that's do true. That. Yeah, you could tell no. he's proper experience. That was like a real leadership. Yeah, that's something that we have been missing. And we, we saw that from Ben Mee last season. And Ben Mee's been quiet in the first half of the season. For me, I think whilst he's playing, his ability's coming back. Personality-wise, he seems to be a bit out of sorts for me at the moment. I'm not sure whether or not there's something going on there or whether he's just feeling the pressure and just feeling a bit down about the lack of performances. I'm just going to read through um, producer Matt's view on this because he had a very similar um, attitude. And he said that he feels that after taking some risks last year, which he puts down to probably getting ourselves in a position early on where we could take a risk changing things, Dash has reverted to type and seems to be stubbornly sticking with players and tactics that just aren't working. We are now on the opposite side of things where we have nothing to lose by changing things and taking a risk. Matt would like him to revert back to the back five that did so well this time last year, including Heaton. He appreciates what Hart has done. He's done okay. 
that's a bit harsh Matt I think he's done more than okay but, but he feels that he needs that Hart needs some more time on the bench in order to not get complacent whereas Heaton needs some game time to build some confidence back Matt thinks that Vidra needs to start games as he seems to be the only forward with any energy and movement which I very much agree with and maybe Deitch has got complacent and he because he knows that he won't get sacked even if Burnley goes down. We've definitely lost the spark of the early promotion years and last season's achievements. Now, Neil Collinson backs that up a little bit. and I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with this, but in the interests of a broad spectrum of opinions, Neil said that he believes the players think that they are top 10 quality players after last year's seventh place finish. And they're just not putting in the hard work that got them there like last season. Ooh, Robbie. <laughs> now, that's at the very far end of criticism for this Burnley side. Is that too much, do we think? Yeah, a little bit. Again, I understand the argument, but I don't think any any of the players think they're a, a, an established top 10 Premier League player. Like They know where they come from. They know their background. Yeah. Uh, last season was a, a fluke, and I'm sure they all know that. But maybe like last season, a lot of opposition maybe underestimated us in terms of that. Yeah, that's um, true. I don't know how to say it, but like a lot, like when Leicester won the Premier League, for example, a lot of clubs underestimated them until March, April time, until they actually took them seriously, and that's when our form dropped around April time, where we started to. Yeah. So I was wondering. That's my comparison to that. Yeah, I think you. I think that's a really important point. Uh, let's be realistic here, listeners. This lack of form and these lack of results isn't just this season. We've been struggling since around. Well, I think it was the Leicester game, wasn't it, where we were last looking like we were winning games, and we've dropped completely off since then. So we, we've got deeper problems than perhaps we are willing to admit. But I don't think the fundamental problems that can't get resolved. I think Deitch is too good of a manager. His coaching side are too good. These players aren't... There's been a lot of people calling them championship players this season, and I don't necessarily agree with that because they are players that have got us out of the championship and are too good for the championship and have not only survived in this division but got us into seventh place. So I do believe we have a squad of Premier League players now so what I'm going to ask is a final question. This is a, an opinion that came in from Sam Waring, who said that actually maybe the problem is us and not the club. Because he says we've been overachieving for the last few seasons and people's expectations are unrealistic. Sam, I'm really sorry. I don't agree with that at all. But only because my expectations are that five games in will have more than one point on the board. One point from a possible 15 is poor. And with the number of goals that we've conceded is also poor. And the lack of shots and the lack of chances we're creating is terrifying. So I don't agree with that. But that's not to say that your opinion isn't valid. Robert, where do you stand on that? Is it our fault? Um, um, I'll take your side, Natalie. I've nothing else to add. I'll just take your side. Look at that. <laughs> Listeners, we're, we're what? We're five podcasts into the new season and Rob is fully ingrained. He knows. In, I, I love him. You can you can stay for the rest of the season. Apart from when you call yourself Phil Barsley, you can stay. Best right back um, in the league. I'm not having that. Say best, that again, sorry. The best right back, right back in the league. You don't see his performance oh, yesterday. He was solid. Yeah. yeah Marauding okay. forward. Deliveries into the box. Oh. <laughs> I was quite surprised, really, that he didn't get sent off. I really do. Well, I think I'm going to I'm going to finish this section on what is wrong with Burnley by 
lifting us all up with a nice little reminder of what we all know and love. Gary Wilson tweeted us and asked the question, what is wrong with Burnley? And he said, nothing is wrong with Burnley. The town is lovely. I agree, Gary. I won't repeat the rest of the tweet, but I agree. So, Robbie, I'm going to come back to you in a little moment. Um, We're going to take an interlude now, listeners, and we're going to try and lift the fog of Burnley's disappointing start to the season. And we are going to be joined now by Gemma Avery, who is our resident ladies football specialist. She's our consultant on all things Burnley FC women and the Lionesses and the Women's Super League. And so we caught up with Gemma this week for our monthly update. Gemma, welcome back. It's been four whole weeks since we last had you on the show already. Where has that time gone? I know, it feels like a lot's happened in four weeks as well. Oh, it really has. So the last time we spoke to you and caught up with you at the beginning of the season, everything was so happy and glowy and lovely and we were in the Europa League and we'd just finished seventh and it's not gone so well, has it? No, it hasn't. <laughs> Cheer us up a little bit. Robbie and I have just been dissecting where we think the problems are with Burnley at the moment. And you're going to come on and give us some happy news about Burnley FC women and the Lionesses and the Super League. Give us some good news. Tell us what's been going on. It's been a fantastic time in the women's game. It's been a really good month. So I'm hopefully going to sprinkle some really nice positivity into the podcast um, and really sort of um, perk some people up. So um, we'll start off with Burnley FC women. Um, The amazing news is, I think I covered it last time, um, that Burnley FC women were promoted over the summer. Um, They're now in the FA National League Northern Division 1 so basically they got promoted and it's like the fourth tier of women's football now Um, and the amazing news is not only have they been promoted but they're actually second in the league Um, Wow Yeah that's five games in had a bit of a bumpy start to the season we had a defeat to Chester Lee Street Town Ladies and then there was a draw to Leeds but then since then we've had three back-to-back wins which means that we're sat like I say second in the league only just sitting behind Chorley FC women and kind of in terms of sort of real prestige in the area Chorley FC women are a really sort of substantial setup so for us to be sitting behind them five games in is fantastic and you know is is sort of real testament I think to what's happening at Burnley FC women in terms of you know they just they've got it together they really have it sounds fantastic and and I think one of the things that that you were saying to me before we record this week's show is that we've got some player of the year nominations as well yeah so the Northwest Football Awards we've got two player of the year nominations so we've got Green who's in the sort of older category and then we've got Embley in the young I think it's the women's young player player category but obviously we're we're new to this league we're new to these kind of sort of celebrations so the fact that we've walked in and we've got two nominations straight off the bat and there's some really nice pieces on the Burnley FC women's website which obviously Burnley FC in the community run and there's some really nice pieces where you're hearing from the players themselves and I just think they're sort of really starting to get recognition and it's it's really exciting to see and obviously the more that we can sort of become prevalent in the northwest and, and nationally it's, it's so nice to see Burnley being recognized for women's football yeah it really is and especially when you know you know I, I know we're having a tough start this this season from from the senior men's side but 
Football in Burnley is on the up at the moment. We've got a Premier League side. We've got Burnley ladies who are now in the... So, Gemma, is that now the what we would say, I guess, League 2, the fourth division? Yeah, so you've got the... In terms of the structure, honestly, the football pyramid's a nightmare. It's so <laughs> hard to sort of decipher. But you've got, obviously, your Super League at the top. You've then got your FA Women's Championship, which is the one where United have been slotted into. And then underneath that, you've got your FA Women's National League, which then breaks down to the Northern Premier Division. And then you've got the North and Midlands, West and South underneath that. So it's the fourth tier, basically. So much, yeah, exactly like you say, it's like the League Two equivalent um, of men's football. And what a fantastic achievement. I mean, and then like you say, to, to get them to come in there and get a couple of Player of the Year nominations as well. It's absolutely outstanding achievements. When you first came on the show at the beginning, you told us about a certain striker whose surname will be familiar to most Burnley fans. Have we got the goal machine that we were expecting? We haven't, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's very early on into the season. We, you know, we've only played a handful of games. There's been quite a few goals scored in those games. The game, I think it was a couple of weekends ago against Liverpool Feds, that was 3-0. I think we beat Bolton 1-0. But there's still a long way to go in the season. There are a few sort of common names coming up on the score sheet, but I, I don't think that's kind of to say that there's not going to be other names this season. The great thing about women's football is that quite often you do get a lot of goals. If you look around the other teams in the other leagues at the moment, we're seeing some absolute landslide victories. So I'm sure there's plenty of time for uh, for certain individuals to get themselves back on the team sheet. Oh, I love it. And then I think the last time we spoke to you as well, you mentioned that they had got themselves through to a round of a cup. Can you just yes. remind us of that? Yep. So in the cup, we got through the first round of the cup, but we've not played any more games in that yet. I'm not sure when the next fixture of that is, to be honest. Sorry, that's not very helpful, but I don't actually know when the next, because the cup games are quite difficult to um understand as well as the league games. Uh, that's all right well that we'll look forward to that the next time you, you come on obviously we, we can let our listeners know and and if we get some information now we'll we'll just tweet it out to our listeners yeah um, the, the thing with women's football is the fixtures tend to get really spread out across the season because yeah, it's not as many of them in the leagues it's some it's looking because sort of two or three weeks quite often where you're not playing any games so um i'm not sure when that next cup game is though we'll uh, we'll have to ask the question we will. We'll keep an eye on it for you, listeners, and we'll, we'll tweet it out there. We're not to know. Well, I think we've got a, some great content coming up for you in the next couple of weeks, listeners. We've been contacted by Burnley FC women themselves, and we're going to have somebody on the show from the, the club themselves to basically talk to our listeners about the club and about what they're trying to achieve and what their plans are for the rest of the season and how our listeners can get involved. So we've got that coming up for you with, with myself and Gemma in the next couple of weeks. But before we get to that, Gemma, just remind our listeners where they can see the the ladies side and, and where they can go and watch some games so you can head down to paddy mfc i think it was three pounds last time i checked so it's not going to break the bank and i think you do get to go and see a lot of goals they normally tend to play on sundays usually around lunchtime but if you head to the burnley fc women twitter feed it's really well managed and they tend to put you know if there's any different fixtures or anything like that locations they tend to put those on and there's also a few quite local away games that if people want to start showing some support they can definitely start heading to those too excellent so let's move away a little bit from burnley ladies and it's been a big month for the lionesses hasn't it i was watching the games the last couple of weeks we have some world cup news don't we Gemma? we do we can officially say that the lionesses have qualified for the world cup now which is fantastic news 
Um, <laughs> so we beat Wales 3-0 to do that. It was always kind of sort of believed that they were going to qualify and they were going to be top of the group. It was more about who was going to be second. So it was more, it was always likely, but there's always the chance in women's football. Last last season when we played Wales, the Lionesses, the, I think it was a draw in the end and it was a really tough battle. And sort of the Welsh team are really sort of on the up, up and up. I remember that their goalkeeper got an absolute sort of hammering but she I think it was I think she like one goal in in the whole game last last season but unfortunately this time for that goalkeeper not for the Lionesses but unfortunately for her she did like three in this time so we qualified for the Women's World Cup beating Wales 3-0 and then we went on to play Kazakhstan I think it was a week later and that was a 6-0 thumping but it was quite nice because Phil Neville played quite a few of the young up-and-coming players in that so and there's players like Gabby George who plays for Everton Leah Williamson, Beth Mead, two sort of really exciting young players that both play for Arsenal. I think Beth scored twice as well in that game. So it's really exciting to see what he's doing with that team because there is no sight sort of holding on to those legacy players. He's really bringing through the exciting young players that are, that are storming their leagues, but then going on to the national stage as well and getting really comfortable scoring there too. Yeah, this is really fantastic stuff. I know you expected that this would be the case with the overhaul of, of ladies football and the introduction of the Super League, but surely from a women's football perspective, we couldn't have had a better start, could we? No, it's fantastic. And I think that there's such a nice feel in women's football at the moment that it is on the up. Over the summer, there was a lot of concern. The FA restructured the league, as we mentioned last time, and there was a lot of concern. And there was a lot of people that were upset because, you know, their club hadn't secured a licence and all that sort of stuff. But I think people can start to see now that it's for the greater good and the growth of the game. And, you know, that there's players that are getting opportunities in the leagues now. And Phil Neville goes to so many games week in, week out that they're really sort of on the sort of got a good chance of getting a place in the England squad to have the age of the players going in that we've got going in at the moment and they're getting full 90 minutes it's it's really impressive to see and I think that any initial hesitancy I had towards Mr Neville is well and truly gone (laughs) yeah I've got to say I did feel the same thing as well I think I'm not completely in love with him just yet from a manager's perspective and I think but I I just think he hasn't quite got the relationship there with the players. When I was watching them at the last game, I can't remember who it was. Who was oh, it was the Wales game, actually. After the game, I did start to see that there was a, a the beginnings of, of a stronger bond there. And it felt like he had a bit more of a relationship with the players and maybe he has done in the early stages. So, you know, it's in all of our best interest for that relationship to go well. So, fingers crossed that's on the up. Anything else we need to know, Gemma? Is this summary roundup? Yeah, I mean, in terms of women's football in the leagues, we've obviously got the Super Leagues and the Championship. It's quite interesting at the moment because, as we know, Manchester United secured a place in the second tier of women's football and have had really quite a strong start. And then they played Aston Villa and ended up beating them 12-0. So one of the sort of really contentious issues in women's football at the moment is that Manchester United were placed in the second tier of women's football, which doesn't have to be a professional league, so you can have a semi-pro team in there. But Manchester United have put a professional team into that league. And a lot of people are looking at the FA saying how can you have let this happen? Because they're going to go in and absolutely storm that league. Aston Villa aren't the worst team in that league by any stretch of the imagination. So I think that we might see some pretty big sort of defeats being delivered by Manchester United women. 
But on the flip side of that, the last time that they slotted a team into the top flight of women's football was Man City. And that was at the cost of Doncaster Bells. And that caused huge uproar. So I think I really feel for the FA because I think that they've tried to do the right thing commercially. But there's always going to be people that are going to be frustrated. And I think, unfortunately, we will see quite a few drummings this season by Manchester United women. But I'd be interested to see them up against the likes of Chelsea, Man City women and Arsenal yeah, next season. True. I think it'd be really interesting. Yeah, I, I know I, I agree with you, Gemma, and I've had the same thought process when this whole reshuffle went ahead, but I can't help it. The football fan in me is genuinely excited to see Manchester United in that top league next year and, and really doing battle because they could do it. They could establish themselves up there as being one of the top three or four sides in England, in women's football. And it's exciting to see. It really um, is. And I think commercially, it's such an exciting prospect. Yeah, it's the definitely. biggest football brand in the world. And then you look at the team like Liverpool ladies or Liverpool women who this season have absolutely fallen to pieces. They've sold, they've got rid of 18 of their first team players or brought in 18 new first team players because so many of them went to Manchester United and places like that. Neil Redfern, the obviously has come across from the men's game to the women's game and has quit after one game in charge. They're falling to pieces as a team in the top flight. Whereas to me I'm thinking well if Man United women have got it together and have got a really good setup why shouldn't they be in that top league because they're, they're clearly doing all the right yeah. things yeah you're absolutely right that's amazing I mean it, it's nice actually to be able to to give our listeners uh, some nice positive uplifting news in, in what's a difficult time at the moment I know moving away from actually you'll, you'll be back in, a, in about another four weeks time won't you Gemma with the next roundup of, of what's happening in, in women's football yeah. but before we let you go obviously we heard from your report earlier on about how you felt the season was going in terms of not excuses but what you thought was wrong and I know you were very much looking at the lack of creativity do you see this this current blip in form to be temporary or do you think we've got deeper concerns I don't want it to be a permanent thing, but I'm slightly concerned. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think that complacency is, I know, is probably the word that everyone's talking about at the moment. I think we are at risk of becoming quite complacent. I think that, as you know, in Sean Dyche, we've, we've got an incredible manager, but I think we've also got a manager that's bigger than anybody in the club. And I think the only risk with those kind of situations when you've got a person within a football club who is the biggest thing in that football club is that there is potential for complacency there you know I think that I saw some tweets where people were saying you know if he got relegated I'm sorry to mention that word but if we got relegated Sean Dash, you know we don't believe he'd be sacked I think that there's there's quite a lot of complacency and I think that's coming across on the pitch I think that there's not that real hunger and and energy on the pitch and you know I think that's a, as well coming down to you know the team selection I'm not seeing anything exciting I'm not seeing young pacey players up front even though we've had them over the past you know season or two we've had them sat there on the bench waiting to show us what they can do but we're not seeing them and and, and I think that it is a concerning time. I think just looking at the league and seeing as bottom is is heart wrenching after the past couple of seasons. But you know, Defoe was back in action today. We're all resting our hopes on that man, aren't we? And uh, I'm hopeful it's not, but I'm I am worried. And and it's been a long time since I've said that. <laughs> It is. Well, hopefully by the next time we see you in a, in a month's time, Gemma, we'll have much more uplifting, positive news to give to you. Yeah. Gemma, it's been so good to have you. It's been a pleasure as always. And we thank you so much for such an uplifting summary. And we'll see you in a month's time. Amazing. Thank you. 
So, Robbie, let's move back now, back away from ladies' football and that jolly little (laughs) uplifting section where we managed to forget all of our male senior side wars for the time being and start to look at some good things that's happening in the women's game. We're going to speak to Dave Roberts shortly and get the insight into the Bournemouth game next Saturday. But how are you feeling about next week? This, for me, a home to Bournemouth is an absolute must-win game. We have to, even a draw is not good enough. We have to win. Would you be happy with a draw? Do you share those views? No, I think we have to win the game. I'm trying not to be too concerned because, obviously, we played Man United. And, like, points against the top sides are always bonus points. And then Wolves away, newly promoted, spent a lot of money. Oh God, I sound like Sean Dyche there. They were on the up. Like, I didn't expect us to win the game anyway. But Bournemouth at home, I, I appreciate they've had a great start to the season, but we have to win the game. And if we don't, then I am seriously, seriously worried for our season because I don't see us going to Cardiff the week after and getting anything. Oh, really? Cardiff aren't playing very well, though. You know, you Chile we can beat Cardiff. Uh, I think Cardiff will be looking at us and rubbing their hands together, to be honest. Yeah, that's true. I suppose if we don't get a result from Bournemouth. So I know we have to win, but do you think we will win? Do you, Are you feeling confident? Do you think that we can turn this around? I can see us maybe snatching a 1-0. I, like, I, f- I think we might go back to being a little bit more resolute. Like, we did show signs of that at the weekend. Uh, yeah. I think it's just about getting our wingers, like, back in form. In fact, I'm thinking about that. Has there been any word on why Dwight McNeil wasn't in the side at the weekend? No, no idea at all. And that was a good point that a lot of people said. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, God I, knows. I don't know where you stand on Aaron Lennon, but I've been defending him for a little bit of time. He came in last season last January and he's, he seemed to improve us and he actually added something but since the back end of last year and this season I actually don't know what he brings at all yeah he's struggling a bit isn't he at the moment yeah. I just feel like we need a big re- refresh so okay well let's let's have a look at this and let's dissect the uh, the head-to-head stats and we brought in our resident statistician Dave Roberts who gave us everything that we need to know on Burnley at home to Bournemouth <laughs> Dave, welcome back. How are you doing this week? I'm well, Natalie. Yourself? Yes, we are good, thank you. Thank Robbie you. and I have just had a good therapy session and then we've just been bemoaning Bellas and we've just had a fantastic feature where Gemma's given us a really uplifting section on the ladies' football. So I'm feeling a little bit better than I was after the Wolves game yesterday. It is. So, Dave, I'm hoping that you're going to help our listeners by convincing us that we are going to turn around our misfortune by a fantastic home win against Bournemouth. Hopefully. Yeah, well, we've got some stats to look back on on uh, previous matches, so we'll uh, we'll see how we do. All right, go ahead, knock us out. Yeah, we're looking at the uh, the Bournemouth. Uh, we're, we're, are we looking at Burton later on as well? Yeah, we'll do. But we'll do Burton afterwards. Let's just. I'm, I'm I'm so obsessed with the league form at the moment. And do you know what? Actually, Robbie and I haven't even talked about the, the Burton game. <laughs> that's how that's how depressed we've been about the league form. We've com- completely forgotten that. Of course, we have a minor inconvenience of a league cup game on Tuesday night. But no, let's let's come to Burton. So we'll do Bournemouth first, first, please, Dave. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Bournemouth at home. Where Burnley have a really really good record against them in the past. Other than the last match of last season, that was the uh, the first time they'd ever won at Turf Moor. They played four. 14 times before that, they'd lost eight and drawn six. So Burnley had a really, really good record at Turf Moor against Bournemouth in the in the past. I mean, looking at particular games, going back to uh, well, back to the 60s, Harry Potts' side, the 1960s, Burnley won 7-0 against, well, it actually wasn't Bournemouth, it was Bournemouth and Boscombe Athletic 
as they were known then, and Burnley managed to beat them 7-0 in the FA Cup third round. Andy Lockhead scored four times, and Willie Irvin and Gordon Harris got a goal each, so there was a, a big, big win at Turf Moor uh, back then. Coming back to the future a little bit uh, since then, Burnley won 2-1 in September 1999, which you'll recall was promotion season, very early on in that season. Graham Branch and Steve Davis scored for Burnley that day. Uh, with Stan Turner in charge. Um, what the listeners probably won't realise is we're in slightly late with the podcast recording today, which is blessing in disguise from my point of view, because it means I kind of just dabble around and find any extra stats. I was looking back, and one of the games Burnley played in 1997, so that was the Waddle season, you may remember. Boo. <laughs> Chris Waddle scored for Burnley. He scored actually his only goal for Boo. Burnley that season. He played. <laughs> I can't believe after how bad things are going at the moment, Dave. You're then going to make things even worse by bringing Chris Waddle into well, the no, equation. It's, it's, are you trying to finish me off? <laughs> it's perspective, isn't it? Yeah. The, okay, I think I get things that, weren't yeah. good that season, but uh, Chris Waddle scored. And interestingly, again, this is where the uh, extra time came in. Just looking back on the stats on that match, uh, a certain Eddie Howe scored for Bournemouth in that game as well. So it finished 2-2, and it must be, I mean, I have to go back and check, but it must be the only game where two Burnley managers, you know, present, past or future, scored for the two opposite teams in the uh, game, Chris Waddle for uh, for Burnley and uh, Eddie Howe scored for Bournemouth. That one was a, a 2-2 draw in October 1997. And then coming a little bit more nearer to time, ones that people will definitely remember, Burnley beat Bournemouth 3-2 in December 2016. And you may well remember uh, Jeff Hendricks' goal in that game. He scored the first goal of the game. Ball came through, controlled it on his uh, knee, and then scored on the half ball into the Oh, of course. It was that wonder goal, wasn't it? Well, it was goal of the season. So oh. at the end of the season, that was the one that was voted Burnley's goal of the season at the end of the season awards night as well. You're imagining us of the good old hazy days when number one, Burnley used to score goals, and number two, we all loved Jeff Hendrick. Ah, oh, they were the days. I try my best. <laughs> so they're notable games for uh, Bournemouth, but as I say, the uh, the most recent one was the first time that Bournemouth had uh, had ever won at Turf Moor after a very very poor run, yeah. fourteen matches without uh, without a win. So the signs are looking good. That's aren't that, they? Well, it's better than the, the previous ones we've looked back on. Uh, yeah, that's true. The Wolves one wasn't United great. Yeah, you you were almost off my Christmas card list by the end of those ones, Dave. So I guess obviously that's that's the facts and they're the stats that back them up. How do you feel in your heart, Dave? Do you feel like we can turn this this poor start around against Bournemouth? Is this the game? Oh, all being well, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? It can be a confidence thing and. You know, sometimes the, the the crowd have to play their part as well. You know, if you go into a match and everyone's trudging up, thinking, "Oh, we, you know, we might get a point or we're going to lose this," then that can kind of manifest itself as well. But it's a two way thing, isn't it? You know, the, the the players need to do their thing as well. So we haven't performed anywhere near the best of our abilities. I mean, I think Sean Dyke said it in his um, post match interview that you know our attacking intent was you know nowhere near you know, giving the ball away far too cheaply and uh, you can't argue with that. That's exactly what was, was happening. You know, the, the, the players and the uh, the training staff need to uh, make sure they can do what they can in during the week to put that right so that when they come out at the weekend, we're going to get a better performance and hopefully a better result. Well, you've convinced me, Dave. I just, can, I, can I wheel you into the dressing room <laughs> try and convince them? So can you pick up then from where I've blatantly forgotten, listeners, I'm just the worst host in the history of podcasts. I've spent a 
whole podcast clean on forgetting that we were actually playing in the League Cup at the, uh, on Tuesday. Both Robbie and I were like, oh, the Premier League's killing us. And actually, we've got an opportunity on Tuesday to have a bit of a relief from this 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 Premier League fixtures and get some cup run together. So tell us about Burton. What can we expect? Just looking at the, the cup itself, it's interesting that Burnley are going in at the stage they are because, you know, one, we're actually only three games away from the semi-final. We're going in last 32. Obviously, if we are able to get past, past Burton at, at their place, then we're into the last 16 straight away, having only played one match. That's a, an opportunity from that point of view, particularly bearing in mind that the winners of the competition will be uh, be in Europe next season. So, you know, there'll be... Yeah, there's an opportunity, isn't there, oh, to, joy. to progress? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our listeners are going to love that. We've we've now spent all of last season singing about European adventure for them to has to have four games where everybody wants us out of the Europa League, and then we're going to win the League Cup and go back in it next season. That's going to really cheer everybody yeah. up. Dave. Why not? Why not? <laughs> Uh, looking at Burton, though, we've actually only played them twice and we haven't played at their ground. We've played both those matches at Turf Moor and both were in cup competitions. And we did play some matches against Burton United. That was going back a long, long time. That's between 1897 and 1907. But that's actually a different team from the same town. It's not uh, affiliated at all in the, the modern-day Burton Albion. Those two uh, cup matches, and we did play them in the FA Cup fourth round in January 2011. That was a, a reasonably comfortable 3-1 win. It was notable for being Eddie Howe's uh, first game at Turf Moor. He'd already been inst- uh, installed as manager, but the previous games prior to that were uh, away from home. And in that game, Chris Eagles scored twice and Martin Patterson scored. Chris Eagles had also hit the bar during the match as well, so we narrowly missed out on a, a hat-trick. But it was a, a reasonably comfortable 3-1 win for uh, for Burnley in the end, even though I think the third goal did come in uh, injury time or last minute, it was quite late on. Um, and then we actually played them again later that year. It was actually uh, the following season, but it was the first round of the League Cup when we used to play in the first round of the competition, the, the Carling Cup, um, as it was then. And it's one where we uh, saw quite a few goals. It finished uh, 6-3 in the end. It was 3-3 after 90 minutes. Burnley kind of played reasonably well, got 3-1 up with seven minutes to go and then let Burton back into it. They scored two late goals, so we had to go to extra time. And then um, Jay Rodriguez uh, scored a couple of uh, more goals. He scored two penalties already. He scored two more um, in extra time. Um, and Burnley ended up winning 6-3. Charlie Austin and Ross Wallace were the other goal scorers in that game. But they're the only two games we've ever played against Burton Albion. Amazing. Well, do you know what? You've managed to uplift me a little bit, Dave. Okay. Between you and Gemma, I think me and Robbie have just had... We've, we've really took one for the team today. Me and Robbie went through the pain barrier and got rid of all of the, the depressing concerns about the Premier League. And you, you and Gemma have come on and you've lifted our spirits. I'm, I'm really pleased. Before we let you go then, Dave, how are you feeling about both games? Do you, are you feeling confident? I know what we need to do. Well, what do you expect us to do? What give me your predictions? How do you think Tuesday is going to go? I think we have to go in with a, a positive, in a positive frame of mind. You know, it, it's difficult, isn't it, when you've had a poor start to the season? You know, a little bit of pressure builds, a sort of murmurings in the background. It's it's, it's difficult. Isn't yeah. it? When when you're a side that's flying, you're winning every game. Then you know, ev- everyone sort of uh, chomping at the bit going to the game, and it's it's a different sort of atmosphere, isn't it? Whereas when you're struggling a little bit, it's uh, it's it's very different. So I think we just yeah, need to kind of try and put that out of our minds a little bit and make sure we can uh, focus on things. And uh, you know, I mean, getting getting a, the first goal against Bournemouth will be a key, I think, in, in the game. And if we can go on from uh, go on from there, and then 
Tuesday. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing we'll we'll see some changes to that game. It won't be a case of uh, playing the same side in uh, in both matches. But I guess the hope is that we'd be able to overcome opposition from a, a lower division and hopefully, fingers crossed, get through to the last 16. Fantastic. What a way to finish. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining us again. I love having you on. I love this feature. It's a really great way for us to have a look at the, the upcoming games rather than just previewing what we think will happen. I, I find the stats really fascinating. I hope you have a great week and we'll look forward to seeing you next week. You too. I'll speak to you then. So that is everything that we have time for this week, listeners. I hope that we managed to give you something to think about. I know it's not easy at the moment and it's 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 difficult to watch and it's difficult to listen to and it's times like this where we do all need to stick together and with that in mind you know I, we really we really appreciate all of the people listeners who are taking some time to to download the podcast because a lot of the times when these results are coming in, you just want to do a media blackout, don't want to read anything, don't want to watch anything, don't want to listen to podcasts, and you just want to wait for the next game where we can turn a corner. So thanks for sticking with us this week. Our thanks go to Gemma Avery, our ladies' correspondent, for her feature on women's football, and to Dave Roberts, our resident statistician, for giving us the lowdown on Bournemouth. I'm going to say Bournemouth then. <laughs> on Bournemouth. I'm going to stick with that. Thanks to Matt, producer, who obviously put together this show this week and made us sound a lot better than we usually are. And my main thanks go to my co-host, Robbie, for joining me in the studio and helping me make sense of everything that's wrong with Burnley at the moment. My final thanks go to you, the listeners, as ever, for downloading and listening to this week's podcast. Your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Known and Never podcast. Until next time. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered. Bye, fans.